This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. A great many fisher folk once worked out of Whaletown. The Cortez Island Museum's list goes back to the 1930s, at which point there were seven men and a woman. Three of them used rowboats. There used to be a, a huge fleet rafted out boats, six and seven, all along both sides of the dock in, in Whaletown in the last 10 years or so. There's only been three or four boats in there fishing. The main one that I know of in the last little while is the sea fish, but he goes outside of Vancouver Island and fishes tuna. And when he comes back, he doesn't sell it to a fisheries. He sells it from the dock. And same with his prawns. So he's not using a middleman to sell his products, which I suppose is one of the few ways you could make a little bit of money now. The first name in the list of commercial fisher folk from Whaletown is Frank Tooker who had a rowboat named Lone Star in the 30s. I think Frank Tooker was in his early 90s when he was last out fishing, and he still enjoyed it very much. The fishing was sort of secondary to the main whale town occupation of logging, but there were a lot of fishermen that came up from the lower mainland and Victoria to base themselves out of whale town because the fishing was good in the Desolation Sound area, particularly between Cortez and Quadra Island. There was a fish scow at the dock and the store. Originally, the fish scow was run by Petrie, who owned the store. Then it was run by Meg Shaw, who was a Robertson. And she got out of that around the late 40s, 1950-ish. And the scow sat on the beach behind and across from where the Whaletown dock is now. In 1957, after Gary Bergman bought the store, he had a new scow and then dragged the building, keeping the fish, onto the new scow and docked it at the Whaletown dock. Scows that were in inlets or small bays often had a small supply of things that the fishermen might need. But Whaletown had the store right there. Gary kept two sets of books, one for the fish scow and one for the store. Ben Backus was usually one of the first fishermen that arrived from away, as they were referred to, the ones that lived in Vancouver or Victoria. He usually arrived at the same time the swallows arrived to nest in the shed on the Whaletown Wharf. Before leaving Vancouver, Ben would buy some loaves of day-old sliced bread from Woodward's, and he spent his first few weeks hanging up the slices of bread to dry. Gary Bergman remembered this, that he seldom bought anything at his Welltown store, and though his boat, Quinte, seldom left the dock, he did fish now and then. Ben was quite deaf, and though he did have a hearing aid, he seldom had it turned on because he was conserving batteries and money. One of the few days he actually went fishing, he was just outside Whaletown Bay near the marker, and he kind of lucked into a huge school of coho. But most of the other fishermen who'd gone out earlier that day were already over on the quadra side fishing. Eventually, he got word to the Cortez fishermen on the other side without letting other fishermen know that he was into a big school. They managed to come over and get into the school, too. And that was Gary Bergman's biggest day ever 
on the scow, and he had to have the packer come back a second time to take his load to Carlisle Fisheries at that point. It had been a different fisheries company before that. There was another very narrow fish boat that was so small, the owner's legs and feet hung out over the cabin door when he slept. And the boat was jokingly referred to as its owner's West Coast troller, trolling with his legs. The ones that were using the Welltown scow would bring their fish in and Gary Bergman would weigh them, ice them, pack them into boxes and pay them cash. Carlisle Fisheries gave him cash. At any one time, he had up to $10,000 in cash for paying fishermen in those days. He also was responsible for keeping track of their unemployment insurance. Carlisle Fisheries set the different prices for different species. In the early days also, there was another fisherman from away, Arndt Arntson, who also arrived in a small boat. Arndt was a little man, bent over and scowling under heavy eyebrows. But he, when he came into the dock with his arthritic hands, he'd get out his guitar and play and sing for everyone. His son Lloyd brought his family up when they were just kids, and they'd pitch their tents down by the government wharf in Gorge Harbor and then put on concerts for everyone. Another first comer in the 1940s was Doug Morton, and he came to Whaletown with a secretary of the Fishermen's Union, his wife Jenny, and set up a Whaletown local with Harry Huck as president and Ken Slater as secretary. The Martins stayed on in Welltown and later started the Hacienda Marina when they bought some of Charlie Allen's Butte Ranch in Gorge Harbor. There were a number of subsequent owners, and one of them renamed Hacienda Marina as the Gorge Harbor Marina. So you can tell where that property is. A number of early fishermen were rowboat fishermen and using hand lines, and then eventually in I guess 49, 50-ish era, outboards came into use. There were a couple of gals that fished. Meg Shaw and Edith Huck fished in a little boat. Meg had poles on her boat that were centered out from the center of the rowboat so she could handle them while she was rowing or using the engine. She had a hand girty as well. But Edith fished with rods. They brought in good fish. During the war, there was a big fishery for dogfish in particular, for their livers, for oil, used for lubricating machinery. Fishers could go out and earn good bucks just fishing for the livers and then turn them into the scows and get paid cash. The Colwell family lived just south of the entrance to Von Donop Inlet. Cliff Colwell trolled in the 1950s, usually at the north end of Cortez and outside Von Donop Inlet. Uh, he was catching big spring salmon. Occasionally, Cliff had his hooks straightened out by really big ones that got away. The large contingency that came up from places like Vancouver, a lot of them were retired and would come up just to fish because that was something they enjoyed doing. There was a camaraderie with everybody at the dock. Plus, they were making a little bit of money at the same time. One or two of them bought houses around Whaletown and Gorge Harbor. There was one fisherman that lived in a float house, and every year he brought his float house into Whaletown and fished from that. He was one of the few that was fishing ground fish, so he had a live tank for his cod. And when he brought them over to the scow, 
he would cut the heads off and gut them and just dump it overboard. Seals and otters learned very quickly that there was food to be had around the scow. They became regular visitors. The Ware brothers were just starting out and didn't know what species they were catching. And they would just put them all on the dock or the scow edge and tell Gary they were sometimes catching fish that were not legal. Gary protected them for a while, but he trained them finally so that they would know what fish they were catching. Locals like uh, Harry Huck, Edith's husband, was one of the main fishermen. Reg and Silva Welsh fished the Silva Jane, which was built by Ken Slater in his boat works, which used to be between the post office and the library. There used to be a little bay there. Other locals that fished were Bill and Bobby Corneal. They used to take kids out fishing, sometimes for a few days on their boat. And so everybody in the Welltown area knew them as Uncle Bill and Aunt Bobby. The Corneals ran a lodge in Gorge Harbor. Bobby's sister, Maybell, had been trained to service the engine on the boat that they used for bringing in members to the lodge. She went out with her husband, and she was kind of like the engineer, as well as a deckhand. They fished for quite a few years as well. As a teenager, Bill Ballantyne had handlined fishing from off uh, Camp Island, which is now Subtle Islands. They fished well into retirement ages and eventually turned their boat into a yacht. Often the woods would be closed in the summertime because of hazards. So there were a number of loggers that fished for a few months each year. And of course, those were the days when you could fish from April to early November. Today, it's a matter of hours, if at all, because the fisheries are trying to rebuild stocks. Speaking of stocks, there are a number of creeks, Welltown, Coulter Bay and Gorge Harbor, that had fairly good salmon runs for the size of them. The new culvert they built under the road at Hell's Corner in Welltown, where the road makes a zigzag, used to have a really good salmon run back in the 50s. Brig Weiler, when she was a teenager, and her friend, the Matthews girl, used to clean up that creek every year before the salmon runs. So I guess it'd be in the spring there was another little creek between Millstead Road and Carrington Bay Road that comes down behind the properties along there. That creek has become the water supplier for a number of houses in that area. The water is pumped up to a couple of big tanks up on top of a hill overlooking Welltown Bay. And it does run dry in the summers now. So that run doesn't happen. Another creek in Coulter Bay that the Tooker family built alongside of used to have a small salmon run as well and hasn't had for quite a number of years that anybody's noticed. The main run in Gorge Harbor comes into Hanson Creek. You could walk across it without touching water. So many salmon come in there like the Basil Creek in Squirrel Cove used to be. Cross on the other side of the bay where the Granals used to live, there's a marsh that drains out of Anvil Lake and then a creek through the marsh into Gorge Harbor. Many years ago, it was dammed up by beaver who created that swamp area. The salmon couldn't get above the dam, so they would spawn below the dam. Over the years, it dwindled considerably because high tide comes up to that dam. And I think the gravel also was fairly large. Chum like to have a smaller gravel than what's there, but they still come in.
Von Donop Creeks had salmon too, but not many. When Andy and Bruce Ellingson were young, they said only about a dozen salmon would come up the creek that's down at the bottom corner of Von Donop Inlet. I don't know if anything comes in there now. That was all part of the fishing. There were fishermen from Quadra that were fishing on the Quadra side between Cortez and Quadra. And often, particularly if the weather was rough or the tides and currents were too much for them to go around Cape Mudge to drop their fish off in Campbell River area, they would come over to Whaletown Scow for Gary to buy their fish. There were a couple of fishermen from Quadra that used to go up Butte Inlet and they'd catch the white springs up there that were just huge. Gary recorded a number of them that were 100 pounds or a little over. When it's that big and white, Carlisle Fisheries would cut the fish into smaller pieces, smoke them, and sell them as smoked cod to New Yorkers who paid a big price for it and didn't know the difference between a white salmon and a cod. (laughs) The net marked salmon would go for canning, but the ones that were not marked, the ones that trollers caught, were prime fish and got the best buck for them. They went for the fresh market. In 70, there was a big 42-foot American seine boat that ran aground on shark spit. As it ran aground, the keel broke. And so the fishermen abandoned it and flew out that day home to the States. They were coming home from Alaska fishing. Locals got permission from authorities to salvage the boat and everything on it. And Frank Hayes was living in Whaletown. Jack Perry was from Smelt Bay and Jay Martin. They gathered empty barrels and were successful in floating the boat off the spit and then towing it around the corner into Whaletown Bay and beaching it there where they could take it apart and salvage what they could. The Cortez Grapevine was a column that was published on the island and the North Island newspapers. In 1970 in November, they reported that Harry Huck had returned home for the winter months. He'd been a fisherman, but in 1970, he was on fish patrol for the Department of Fisheries. He returned to his whale town home after being aboard a a fish packer for most of the summer and then spending the last few weeks tagging salmon for the Department of Fisheries. The following year, 1971, Harry Hunter disappeared. They never found his body. When his gillnetter, Marcia Mel, sank in September near the end of the season, though he lived in Nanaimo, he had previously lived on Cortez and was still based himself out of Whaletown. There actually were a lot of fish boats that sank, but regulations and inspections of fish boats have increased over the years so that less and less of that is happening now. In 1971, Jim Hansen went hunting on Marina Island, which was then called Mary Island. He came home with a fish instead of a deer. No, we didn't shoot the fish. Evidently, his story went that an eagle dropped the rather large fish on him, but all his fishermen friends thought that it sounded like a fish story. Lynn's late husband, Joe Jordan, started fishing in the late 1970s. Joe fished with Harvey Smith, sometimes out of Welltown when he first started, but then out of Manson's. They did fish Johnstone Straits. In the earlier years, they went further north to Smith's and Rivers Inlets and fished up there. And also fishing with them were the Tooker boys, 
he fished up until his mid-70s. The last times he was out fishing, it wasn't even a 24-hour opening scheduled, but then they did extend it to 40 hours or something. He was in Johnstone Straits, and there was a whole bunch of boats out fishing after dark. He looked around, and there was just him and one elderly Japanese fisherman out. All the young fellas had gone in to shore or dock or anchored somewhere for the night. Joe was good at taking like 20-minute naps when his net was out, standing up by his drum. You just fished that way and took advantage of every minute you could because it was such a short. The young fellas had gone in to shore or dock or anchored somewhere for the night and didn't fish through the night, but they were back out in the morning first thing. That was something he couldn't understand. When you had a fish opening, you fish. Back in the 50s, fishing license was a dollar. Nowadays, you pay thousands of dollars for a fishing license. Plus, you have to buy a boat and keep it up. So it's really difficult nowadays to make money as a fisherman, unless you're on a great big boat that's doing the seining and bringing in big bucks. But even they're becoming fewer with the market being down, the supply being down, the numbers of salmon aren't there, the numbers of herring aren't there. It goes all the way down the food chain. So it'll be a while before fishing ever comes back, I think. You've been listening to Lynn Jordan, former president of the Cortez Island Museum, describe the years when Cortez Island was home to a thriving fishing industry. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye. <laughs>